Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 18 this morning, asking the question, why are you serving? Why do you do the things you do? What motivates you? Now, I know I've hit on this topic many times, but I think it's an important topic to repeat because it's repeated throughout Scripture because God does care about our motives and why we do what we do, does He not? It's very abundantly clear throughout Scripture, even during Christ's ministry, because the ones He chastised the most were the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. So yes, one, they should have known better than doing a lot of what they did. But number two, they did much of what they, their actions for the applause of men. Is that not kind of what we use Pharisee to mean today? Is one who does things for show or for the applause of men. Now, I don't know anybody else's motives for doing what they do. I can't see in their heart unless they tell me why they do what they do. So let's be careful assigning motives, right? We often do that, don't we? Assign motives to somebody. Well, how do you know why I do what I do, right? You don't know. But Paul mentions people are preaching for various motives. Now, I do not believe that he was referring to the false teachers or preaching another gospel. Because he makes it clear in Galatians, and I'll just turn there for a minute. Galatians, you can just stay there in Philippians. We'll be there in just a moment. Galatians 1, uh, 6 through 9, he says, I marvel that you so soon removed from him that called you into, into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we say, as we said, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. Okay, the word of God never contradicts itself, right? So God would not have Paul say at one point, if somebody preaches another gospel, let him be accursed, and then say, I don't care if they preach another gospel, they're okay, okay? So he's talking about the motives for preaching the truth. He's not talking another gospel. So these are preaching Christ, but they had false motives for doing so. You and I, if we're not careful, can be guilty of serving Christ, serving in the church, but doing it for the wrong reasons. And today I want us to consider our motives for serving. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Paul writes, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. One preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So, Paul, I want us to look at this in this way. First of all, I want us to see those serving in pretense. Then secondly, we'll study those serving in purity. And I'm glad for the last point, we are still able to praise. But our motives matter as much as our actions. So let's ask the Lord for His guidance, please. Father, again, thank You for Your goodness to us. And Lord, I pray as we study this passage this morning again, Lord, give us wisdom to know and examine our hearts and ensure that we do the things we do, 
not of pretense, but out of a pure heart, desiring to serve you. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's look at a couple examples of those who served in pretense. Those were doing the right things, but had the wrong reasons, the wrong motives for doing it. Hold your place here in Philippians. We'll be back, but let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew, if you will, please. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking in verse 1 says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound the trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, let thy, not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Interesting. When we give, we should not give for the glory of men. We should not give to be seen of men. I honestly like the way now that we stop passing the plates and you just drop it in the box in the, uh, out in the hallway or give online. I like that in that it's done more secretively than out passing plates. Many times the counters would come to me, well, especially when there's new people counting the money, they'd say, what is this for? And it'd be one of these envelopes. I have one right there, please. It'd be one of these envelopes just like this. No lie, just like this. And they're like, why was this in the offering plate? I ask me, you ever watched the movie Flywheel? Anybody ever watched the movie Flywheel? Remember the guy who takes an empty envelope and drops it in the offering plate to be seen of men? And his son, I think it was, calls him out on it. Apparently, over the years, we've had some of those here because the plate's coming by, so I got to throw something in. So they grab one of these envelopes and throw it in there and make it look like they did something. Because every week, the counters then would have to take out sometimes upwards of two and three of these and go put them back in the pews. You think I'm joking? I don't know who it was, obviously. Do I care? Yes, I care, but it's not for me to go correct them. That's between them and God. But I will say this. It appears as though their motive certainly was for the praise of men, thinking that they did something they didn't do. I like the way it's a little more secretive. If you give online, nobody else knows, right? Except for the treasurer. That really is actually the way God established it to be, is that we give, not letting your left hand know what the right hand's doing, in that we're not supposed to go around telling her, but hey, there are those in some churches who are heavy givers who use that to try to influence the decisions of the church. We were in a church of 1,300 people. It was a big church. And I was on staff, and the finance director, Andrea, they didn't just have one person. They had a team of financial people and then they had a separate team for the school. I mean, we're talking multi-million dollar budget. It was a big church. He came up to me one day, and he named a family, and he said, you ensure that family is never offended. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, if they want something done, maintenance, you make sure it gets done. I'll approve it. And he's just going on about it. I'm like, why? He says, because they're heavy givers. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I laughed at him. He said, Jim, I'm serious. 
All right. Don Weiss was the financial director. He's now in glory. So I'll go ahead and mention his name because you're not going to care anymore. I'm like, Don? I've never heard such a thing. But okay. That family, I believe, was part of the reason why that church ended up splitting. And after the split, the church has never really had, in my understanding, an attendance over 700. That's a huge cut, going from 1,300 to 700. And it's all because that family could never be offended because they were heavy givers. But they controlled then way too much, which led to a push against what I believe was proper doctrine at one point, and the church ended up splitting. That, my friends, is not the way it's supposed to work. It really doesn't matter how much that family gave. I should have never had to have that conversation with Don. I should have never known how much that family gave. Honestly, I knew they were already they were heavy givers. You know why? Because they like to make it known how deep their pockets were. And, well, we tithe here. And so it was kind of obvious. You know what I'm saying? I've had people try that here. Well, preacher, you know I'm a heavy tither here. I said, actually, I don't know because I don't pay attention to it and I don't give preference to anybody. I really try to apply that. Because, you know what, human nature would be to try to give preferential treatment to those who are heavy givers, would it not? So their motive for doing so was wrong. Now, is giving proper? Yes. Their reason for giving was wrong. Go over to chapter 23, in verse 14, Matthew 23, 14. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore you receive the greater damnation. Is praying a good thing? Is spending much time in prayer a good thing? But the Pharisees, Jesus is not condemning them for praying, nor is he condemning them for long prayers. He says, you're doing it for pretense. You're doing it to show men. You're doing it for the glory of self, not for the glory of God. You're not really trying to bring your petitions to God. You're not trying to humble yourself before a holy God. You're not trying to adore a holy God. You're doing these long public prayers so people can say, oh, look at Mr. Pharisee. He's such a wonderful guy. Now, I'm not against long prayers. What I am against is praying for pretense, praying for show. As I've said many times, when we pray to God, we don't have to turn on the King James English. God understands modern English. Now, I'm not saying be crass or crude or improper in your grammar or talking to God, nor should you be with anyone else. But I can talk to God the same way I talk to any one of you. Because I should be addressing you with proper respect, should I not? And so it is interesting to listen sometimes to new Christians pray because they don't know all the little cliches to tag together to make this nice little lovely prayer. And they just talk to God. And it's wonderful to hear because you know what? It's real. It's genuine. But the Pharisees, why, I'm sure they knew every little cliche to tag, tag together to make this a real long, fancy, flowerful prayer. And, you know, you ever hear a lawyer talk? 
or ever read something written by a lawyer? There's so many only people I know that can talk for 15 minutes and say absolutely nothing. You know what I'm talking about? I sometimes imagine God hearing these prayers saying, if you will, you just talked for 15 minutes and said absolutely nothing. Go back to a couple chapters to Matthew 15. I'm trying to keep them all together here for you, make it a little bit easier on you this morning. This is a quote of the Old Testament, Isaiah 29. I want you to listen to these words of Jesus in verses 8 and 9. Matthew 15, verse 8. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We can do the right things for the wrong reasons. They draw nigh to God with their mouth, but their heart's not there. What is really their motive? I had a professor that told me when he was in this certain church, he started to realize the pastor looked for people who were showy, I'll call it. And he told his wife, he said, I'm going to get asked to preach next week. And she's like, what are you talking about? He said, you watch me today. I'm going to get asked to preach next week. She's like, all right. So they went to church. And he says, the whole time they're in the choir, and the whole time after the choir's done, he's sitting there, and he's just everything, hallelujah, amen, praise God, and he's just going on. And he was doing it literally for show, to prove to his wife a point. And as soon as the service was done, the pastor came to him and said, the Holy Spirit's all over you, brother. How about you preach next week? And he looked at the preacher and smiled, because he knew that he wasn't really even trying to be genuine about it. He was just trying to prove a point that the pastor looked for showy people and then would call on them to preach. When I was in college, I remember Dr. Comfort going up to this one young man after service because during the special music, he was shouting and he was hanky-waving. We are in the South, okay? And he's standing there jumping up and down, hanky-waving as the song is going on. And he was hallelujah, everything else. As soon as the sermon started, in five minutes, he was fast asleep. Dr. Comfort, I saw him. Now, Dr. Comfort stands about yay tall. And this guy was about a little bit taller than me. But he's sitting there dressing him down. He's like, young man, you're never going to make it into ministry with an attitude like that. He goes, you're all about show. And he says, you proved it to me today, sitting there dancing around during the music. But when the preaching's happening, the preaching's more important than the music, you're fast asleep. And he's just chewing him out. And I'm like, oh, just keep right on walking. <laughs> he was right. I understand you get tired, but I would like to believe everybody in this room believes while music is important, the preaching of the Word is more important, right? So why do we serve? Why are we doing the things we're doing? I have met those who, and I, I want to be careful because, again, I don't know their motives, but the appearance is when they go for testimony, when it's time for testimony time, it's not so much a testimony as it is a bragamony. You ever hear, you know, I did this and I did that and I, 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 and praise God, right? We all can do it, by the way. Even preachers can have false motives. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. 
You know, there are preachers today that are jealous of larger ministries. There are those that will judge ministries that are small. I remember, I think I told you this before, like two or three years into being here, there was a missionary came by and he pulled me in the office. He goes, Jim, I'm not sure what you're doing wrong. He says, I came by to hear you preach tonight. He says, you got a good message, just too much scripture in it. He says, but I'm not sure what else you're doing wrong because I don't see why this church isn't having a buck and a half by now. I'm like, a buck and a half? He goes, yeah, you should have at least 150 in attendance by now. What are you doing wrong? And I looked him square in the eye and said, I appreciate your concern and I appreciate your any value critique. I will value any critique you have to help me in ministry. I said, but as far as the numbers go, I don't see in scripture where that was my responsibility. I said, Christ said, I will build my church. I said, my responsibility here is to be faithful. So you just told me that you've believed the preaching is fine, except for too much scripture. I said, so I really don't understand. And I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I said, I, I'm willing to take any critique you have. But as far as numbers go, that is not my responsibility. He didn't appreciate my answer back to him and hasn't offered help since. Let me tell you, yes, even this pastor has been tempted to think about larger crowds. Now, I understand crowds mean numbers or numbers mean people. I understand that. And I am concerned about people. You do realize I've been here since 2008. If we were not next to Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point and they kept moving them every three years, we probably would have close to 200 people here. But does it really matter? Now, there's nothing wrong with desiring to preach to a large crowd. There's nothing wrong with desiring to see many decisions. As long as the desire is for the glory of God, not for the glory of self. There are some preachers that I know that, again, I'm trying to be careful because I can't assign motives to a man, but they certainly seem like showboats because everything they do and every person they meet, they have to post it on Facebook so everybody else knows. You know what I'm talking about? We'll go on. But Paul says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Envy could mean jealousy. But being jealous will kill your effectiveness. Jealousy will kill your joy. Jealousy will make you bitter. Why be jealous of another? It is interesting to me to watch, again, going to college as an older guy. I wasn't old, but older than the 19-year-olds who most of them were there. I was in my late 20s, early 30s going through college, so they called me an older man. Matter of fact, the one kid that was going through college, I kind of adopted him as my son, so he calls me dad, even though he's only, what, 12 years younger than I am, maybe? But anyhow, and the president of college and I even had a discussion of this. You do realize, you look at Grace Baptist Church, you see a thriving church there in Newport that has a bus ministry, that has a beautiful facilities, that has a radio station, that has all these things going on. But if you were ever able to talk to Clyde Eburn before he went to glory, you would find out that he struggled for years starting that church. It was a lot of work, a lot of prayer, a lot of effort. You look at Calvary Baptist Church in New Bern, and I use these two examples because I know the history of these two churches. 
and are close enough that most of you know where they are. There was a time when Bill Wingard was ready to quit, and Clyde Eburn told him, you can't. Bill, to his dying day, thanked Clyde for telling him, you can't quit. Both of those ministries are larger, thriving ministries today. And here was the conversation I had with the president of college. Young men today don't want to put in that kind of work. They want to go to an established work and just either become the assistant or become the pastor of that work and not realize the effort that went into building it. Now, again, I don't want to assign motives, but why are people not willing to go plant a small church somewhere as much as they should be willing to? This was a, we call it a church rescue here at what was Lake Road Baptist Church, now Freedom Baptist Church. I had many men saying I would never have done that. I said, well, it really wasn't my choice. It's where God led. I had lunch with a couple pastors the other day, and it was interesting. The one kept referring to the ministry as his job. That does disturb me. Now, I guess you could say it is my occupation. It is technically, I guess, my job. But I don't like to refer to ministry as a job. Because job has a negative connotation. We think of job as something you drudge, you know, you hate to go to every day, but you have to because you have to make money. Well, I don't hate what I do, you know. I love it. Anyhow, the point being is, why do we do the things we do? Yes, even preachers can have false motives. Some serve for selfish reasons. Paul continues on, he says in verse 16, one preach Christ to contention, not sincerely, not purely, not doing it for the right reasons, trying to add affliction or tribulation to me. They wanted Paul's condition to get worse. They wanted Paul to get in trouble. So they're preaching, trying to get, make Paul's situation even worse. But we're not to do anything through strife or vainglory. Over in chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So there's those who serve in pretense, but I thank God there's those who serve in purity. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife, but some of goodwill. Some serve because they love God. Look at verse 16. One preach Christ to contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am sent for the defense of the gospel. Our reason for our service should be our love for Christ. The reason why we do what we do should not be, oh, well, I see something needs to be done, nobody else is doing it, I guess I'll just have to endure it and do it. No, I should desire to do it because it is serving Christ, and I love him, and by serving others, I am serving Christ. By serving my church, I'm serving Christ. By doing the things I know I'm supposed to do, it brings glory to God. When I pray, it needs to be to praise a holy God and humble myself before him and bring my petitions to him, not for the praise of men. When I give, it needs to be for God's glory, not for the praise of men. When I serve in the church, it needs to be for God's glory, not for the praise of men. But a love for God will result in obedience to him. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, 
You want to show your love to Christ? Then keep his commandments. That's what he says, is it not? And his commandments are not grievous. But not only will a love for Christ result in obedience to him, but our love for God will cause us to love others. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one toward another. You see, the more we fall in love with Christ, the more we're going to love others. If you love God, you have a true desire of seeking God's glory. But God judges our motives. He sees the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, referring to David's brother. For the Lord seeth not as men seeth, for the, Lord look, uh, for the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So, you and I, again, can't see in the heart of others. You and I cannot tell the motives of others. So again, yes, while it sounds like I've maybe assigned motives to others, I try to be careful because, you know what, I really don't know what's going on in their heart. But God does. And so let's make sure our motives are right. Because part of the, I believe, the criteria, the judgment seat of Christ, is not only what you have done, but why did you do what you did? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, the Word of God says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. So God is going to bring it to light. Why did you do what you did? And listen, if it's for the praise of men, he already told us in Matthew as he was telling the Pharisees, you're doing it for the praise of men? There's your reward. You got it. There is no reward in heaven for the motive of doing things for the praise of men. And let me tell you something. People are fickle. You don't believe that? Run for public office. They're going to love you one minute and hate you the next, and it's the same people. They're going to talk good about you one day and bad about you the next. Paul's willingness to defend the gospel encourage others to preach for pure motives. Go again to verse 17. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. The fact that Paul was willing to continue to preach the gospel, that he was going to continue to stand for truth, encouraged others to do so. And so you and I need to realize, as we stand for Christ, it will encourage others to do so. Which brings us to the last point, those still able to praise. Verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Last week, we looked at hindrance or opportunity. These preachers with false motives were trying to hinder Paul, but he saw it as an opportunity for the furtherance of the gospel. Now again, we're not talking false preachers. They're preaching the truth, and he says, as long as the truth is being preached... I'm not going to judge them, their motives between them and God. God will deal with that. But I can thank God that Christ is being preached. Paul did not allow the fact that others were against him to get him down. And we need to be careful of that. When you're serving Christ, there is always the peanut gallery that wants to sit there and talk about it, right? And wants to say, you know, what you've done wrong, whatever. There's always going to be critics, folks. They're always going to exist. Now, I'm not saying that you don't take proper criticism in a proper fashion. There are times when people have come to me and say, hey, 
that action or that word or whatever was improper, and they are right and have been right. There are other times when people just want to criticize and they're not right. We've all had that. So evaluate, in other words, when somebody comes to you, ensure that what you've done is actually right, and maybe, maybe there are times when we might have to confess and say, you know what, I was wrong. But our response definitely is our choice, is it not? You see, in Paul's case here, he knew that he was standing for right. He knew that he was continuing to preach for the love of Christ. Paul knew in his heart that he was not doing it for pretense. He knew that he was not doing it for show. Which, by the way, was he not accused of that? Sure he was. He knew that these individuals were doing this to try to make his situation worse. But he didn't let it bother him. He didn't let it stop him. He didn't stop and dwell on that. But Paul says, And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. May I say, not every church does it the way we do it here at Freedom Baptist Church. doesn't make them right, us wrong, or us right and them wrong. Some churches are big churches, some are smaller than we are. Yes, they actually get smaller than this. But can't we rejoice if they have a faithful pastor preaching the gospel? Whatever his motives may be, if he's truly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, can't we rejoice in that? And I'm going to even take it a step further. If they don't exactly do everything the way we do, and maybe hold to some of the same standards we do, and I'm not talking biblical standards, I'm talking, you know, things that, the choices we do. Okay, for instance, you do realize it would not be a sin for me not to preach in a suit, right? But it's a standard we hold. But if a preacher were to, in their church, choose to not preach in a suit, can't we still rejoice to preach in Christ? You get my point? Let's stop being hypercritical. And let's learn to, rather than trying to judge everybody else's motives, how about we do more self-examination, making sure my motives are right? You know what I find? When I think I got it right, is when I need to stop and evaluate myself because there's a reason why I think I got it right. It's called pride, usually. And then I realize, you know what? No, there's still things I need to work on. You follow what I'm saying? And sometimes when I look at my own life, I realize, was my motive truly pure in doing that? And sometimes the answer is, no, it wasn't. Somebody could have a, what we call a great ministry. They get to preach to a large church, they could be one who knew how to pray and all these things. But if they were doing it all for the praise of men, or you had some, compare that to a, perhaps a widow who has health issues, but she's faithful in praying to God, and she takes the church's prayer list, and she prays for everybody in that church, and she is just sending letters of encouragement to others and, and everything else, doing what she can to be faithful to God, and she's faithfully given to her church, which one do you think will have the greater reward when they stand before Christ? See, we're tempted to look on the outside and say, well, the preacher, because look at the great ministry he had. But if his motives were all selfish, she's going to have greater reward than he will. And that's why it's important we evaluate our motives for doing the things we do and ask ourselves the question, why do I do what I do? So let's learn to evaluate our own motives. 
Why am I serving? Why do I do the things I do? Is it truly to bring glory to God? If it's anything else, it's an improper motive. Even when I do things, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when we are cooking, can we do that for the glory of God? When I compliment somebody, when I thank somebody, when I tell my wife how beautiful she is. Now, I understand that helps her understand how I feel about her, but should it be just for selfish motives so I can make her feel good, or should it be for truly, ultimately for the glory of God? Because is she not a gift of God to me? Then shouldn't I treat her as a gift of God to me? You see, everything we do needs to be with a proper, pure motive. And then we'll be able to rejoice. I don't care about your motives. I do care, but I can't see your motives. So whatever your motives may be, as long as you're serving and Christ is preached, then praise him. But you must evaluate your motives.